0: To the Gackle Report brought to you by the Bay Area News Group. I am your host, Paul Gackle, coming to you from the Gackle Report studios in West San Jose. Mark Edward Vlasic rips into the NHL. Pete DeBoer pulls a 180. And the rotating door on the Sharks' top line continues to spin. But let's open things up with... The Bob Bugner Bowl at the SAP Center last night. The first laugh goes to the student who pulled off two successful coaches challenges to pull two Sharks goals off the scoreboard. Now, there probably isn't. Let me fix my levels here. How's that? Still a little high. There we go. Okay. Now, there probably isn't a coach out there, including Todd McClellan up in Edmonton, who knows this team's tendency better than the coach whose system is essentially a carbon copy of what Pete DeBoer has his team doing out there on the ice. Talking about Bob Bugner. The Panthers stifled the Sharks' offense... I didn't see a single grade A opportunity. Maybe I missed one, but I really didn't see a single grade A opportunity over the first 40 minutes of the game. The Sharks came on late, but the key word there is that it was late. That push wasn't there until the sand was falling quickly through the hourglass. The end result is... A 2-0 shutout, the first time the Sharks were shut out since March 20th of last year in a 1-0 loss to the Dallas Stars. So the Sharks come into this game leading the NHL in goals against average at 2.25, and it actually drops down to 2.24. That's right, folks. The Sharks' league-leading goals against average actually went down, and yet the Sharks still lose the game. And you know, we came into the season with some major concerns over whether this team has enough scoring to contend in the Western Conference. The Sharks ranked 19th in goals per game last year. And then you take Patrick Marleau's 27 goals out of the mix. Where is it going to come from? We heard the team say the young guns will step up. Timo Meyer. Kevin LeBanc, Marcus Sorensen et al. We're not seeing it. LeBanc has shown some flashes. He's also made a trip down to the minor leagues to regain his confidence. And last night, he skated on the third, first, and fourth lines just all over the place. We heard about guys having snack-back seasons. Tomáš Hurdle, Mikel Bakker, Jonas Donskoy. Well, Donskoy is delivering five goals so far. But we still aren't seeing much out of Mikel Bodker. And while I think Hurdle's all-around game is shaping into form, the Sharks still need him to produce. They need him to be a 25, 25 goals a year guy now that Marlow's off to Toronto. He needs to be more than just a solid physical power forward with what they have in that top six right now. The time is now for him to emerge. And like I said, I like his 200-foot game. I like how hard he is on the puck, and I think he is making plays for Logan Couture. But he needs to put the puck in the net, too. In addition to all that, Brent Burns is still without a goal in 17 games. He only had two in his last 23 last year, none in the playoffs. That's two goals in 46 games. If that doesn't have you concerned, Sharks fans, what will? Joe Pavelski, his numbers are down. He's still looking to find it. He seems like he's probably dinged up because he started the season on the with, with a couple maintenance days and he had one again last week. Joe Thornton, big questions over his knee right now. So it isn't just that the supporting cast isn't stepping up and helping out that top six group, there's some serious concerns regarding the guys that you would expect to get it done on the San Jose Sharks. In addition to all that, the offense is just so stagnant and predictable. Everything is low to high. Fire a shot from the point. Hope for a deflection. Hope for a rebound. It's a lot of hoping in there. Maybe the Sharks aren't getting good puck luck. They rank 29th in shooting percentage at 5.67%, which suggests they aren't getting many of those bounces right now. Fair enough. They're 26th in PDO at 98.05. Again, that's the puck luck stat, which suggests they aren't on the right side of that. And in addition to all that, you wouldn't expect Brent Burns to be 0 for 71 on the season. You'd expect a few of those to go in. So I do think that there's some bad puck luck uh, coming Brent Burns' ways right now. But if you listened to Logan Couture in the postgame last night, it makes perfect sense why the Sharks aren't scoring, why their shooting percentage is so low, why Brent Burns hasn't found the net, really, in his last 46 games. Here's what Logan Couture said. Quote, it's because our shots are coming from so far away. We're not really getting many chances in the slot where we should be. The shot volume's always good, but you'll want to have shots from dangerous areas. Logan, hitting the nail on the head right there. Now before this, Couture, and, and, and right in this quote, Couture acknowledges that the Sharks, Sharks usually are winning the possession game. You know, we hear this from Pete a lot. I thought we deserved better. They're usually winning the possession game. They're usually winning the shot battle. That's their bread and butter. But they just aren't producing those grade A scoring chances. There's just no doubt about that on a consistent level. I still think this has something to do with team speed. The Sharks just don't get out in transition on the rush. The forwards can't push the issue. They can't force the issue with their opponent's defenses, which would create space for the blue line. So what you get is this stagnant half-court game that we're seeing here. Now, those are my words. Those aren't Logan's words, but here's what he said. We're creating zone time. We're getting pucks to our D-men. The pucks aren't getting through. That's on us forwards to try and take some more pucks to the net and try to find some more soft areas. That's where I, that's end of quote, but that's where I think speed comes into play. I think speed is one of the reasons why the quote unquote us forwards aren't getting pucks in the net and aren't getting into the soft areas. Logan's putting ownership on the team's shoulders here, which I like. But I'm also going to say, look, we saw this show last year when Marlowe and all of his split foot speed was on the roster. We had concerns about this offense going in. And things are playing out exactly how we expected them to. Maybe this is a situation where it just isn't in the room. This problem is not going to be solved internally. I mean, look at that top line. DeBoer used four different left wingers on that line last night, starting with Donskoy, then Kevin LeBanc, then Timo Meyer, then Melker Carlson. We're back at Melker Carlson. The third piece of that line during McClellan's last year in 2014-15. We still haven't found a better option than that. I mean, I like Melker. I'm a big Melker Carlson fan. Love that guy's game. But he's not a top-line guy. Not on a contending team, that's for sure. Now, of course, there's always the Tomas Hurdle option. That's what's worked. That's when Hurdle does put the puck in the net is when he's playing with Joe and Joe. But then that would open up another hole in the dam on the second line. Patrick Marlowe's spot on Logan Couture's left wing. And if we do that, we're all the way back at square one. I usually like to give myself a good quarter of the season before I start drawing conclusions. You need to see a big enough sample size before you do that. But now here we are at 17 games and I'm drawing a conclusion. The Sharks need scoring help from outside of the dressing room. Duh. Thanks, Gackle. Brilliant guy there. Thanks, Captain Obvious. Didn't know that one. Had to listen to you talk for about 10 minutes to figure that one out. Okay, I get it. I know, I know. There's no denying it at this point. But listen, you either move Hurdle up and you'll need to go shopping to fill that hole on the second line or you need to find a wingman for the top line. Now here's the catch, Sharks fans. It ain't going to be easy. I can tell you that much. There's no Band-Aid, no quick fix, no obvious answer solution to this problem. First, this isn't just a... First, first, this isn't just... This just just. Ugh. I could delete that. I don't really care. This just isn't the time of year where teams are making trades. So if you're out there looking for help you're bargaining from a position of weakness. Any call that Doug Wilson makes right now, the opposing GM knows he's desperate. And he ain't going to bend unless he gets a king's ransom. He's going to make Doug sweat it out and pay up. The opposing GM, he isn't in a tight spot until we get to the trade deadline. Wilson is too smart to panic. So I wouldn't expect to see anything coming before Christmas, if not until February. Because that would mean the Sharks are paying a real hefty price. Do the Sharks have enough time? Can they hang in there? Probably. I do think that that defensive game should keep them in the playoff mix if they continue to be near the top of the league in goals against and shots against. That's the good news. Second problem, there just isn't a lot out there on the market right now that's that appetizing. The two names that jump out are Evander Kane and Jason Spezza. Well, Kane has the NHL's second most goals to Austin Matthews since December 1st of last year. He has the speed the Sharks need. He's a bona fide top line winger. But as we know, he has a checkered history. He got run out of Winnipeg after Dustin Bufflin threw his track suit in the shower because he was late to a team meeting. He had some illegal legal entanglements in Buffalo that he's since been cleared of. But the Sharks talk a lot about character. Would bringing Evander Kane into the mix, would that really be something that Doug Wilson would pursue? In addition... All that drama in Winnipeg, let's remember who the coach is up there. Paul Maurice, DeBoer's mentor, the guy who gave him his start as a coach in junior hockey. I can't imagine that DeBoer is going to be eager to bring this guy aboard after everything his buddy went through with him a couple years ago. So let's move on to Jason Spezza. Offensively talented player, no doubt about that. A 30 goal scorer just two years ago, 50 points last year. But we're talking about an awfully high price tag to get that offense. He's making 7.5 million this year. He's owed another 7.5 million next year. The benefit of Marlowe's departure is that you suddenly have cap space to go out there and do something. Now we're over the summer. But do you really want to spend it here? Is this your best option? I would say no. Especially when the Sharks are a defensive-minded team. Tough to know if Spezza would work in that system. The guy was a minus 18 last year, a minus 26 during his last year in Ottawa, now, I know the flaws in the plus-minus stat. We can uh, let's not get into all that, but but those numbers jump off the page, no doubt. So I yeah, I just don't know. That's not something I would pursue personally. Third problem: whatever the sharks do, they're gonna have to pay up. Let's go back to Kane. You'd have to imagine that the Sabers will be asking for Heat or Ryan. One of the young forwards and a draft pick. The Senators got six pieces for Matt Duchesne. The Sabres would probably want three pieces for Evander Kane. Do you still want to do that? Yoakam Ryan, Kevin LeBanc, and a pick. See, folks, trades aren't as easy in the real world as they are when you're scribbling in your notebook at home. We'll be all over this as the season progresses, but let me sum it up. The Sharks need scoring. It isn't in the room. They probably need to make a trade, and that's going to be real difficult because A, there just ain't a lot out there. B, they aren't bargaining from a position of strength. C, they're going to really have to pay up if they go that route. I believe the cliché is they're in they're caught between a rock and a hard place. Marc edouard Vlasic not very happy with the Sharks second disallowed goal last night was he? No he was not. The Sharks appeared to tie the game in the third period, loose puck in the crease. Vlasic, Donskoy, Tomasz Hurdle jabbing away at it. Luongo's pad gets pushed into the net, and it's rule goaltender interference. According to rule 78.5, the situation room says Vlasic and Jonas Donskoy both pushed Luongo's pad and the puck across the goal line. And Vlasic says here's what Vlasic says. The puck's in the blue paint, and I guess from now on, you have to say, Mr. Goalie, go ahead and freeze it, or else it will be disallowed. The puck's right there. You jam the puck. It hits his pad. He can't make the play because I put it in before he could freeze it. I don't know what the rules are anymore. Vlasic went on to say, you can't push the puck into his pad and into the net, so you have to let the goalie freeze it. From now on, anything in the blue paint should be disallowed. I understand his situation because I think there is so much ambiguity over goaltender interference. It is a lot like pass interference in football, and I don't think that should be reviewable personally. And this goal wasn't all that dissimilar from the Game 6 goal in 2014. You'll recall when Alex Stalock's pad got pushed into the net. It's a judgment call there. And in 2014, the refs judged that it wasn't goaltender interference. Last night, they judged that it was. And that creates confusion and this type of reaction from Mark Edward Vlasic. I get it. But I will say, if you're just going by the letter of the law, I think the refs got it right in this case. And I know you don't want to hear that, Sharks fans. I know you're frustrated. But by the letter of the law, when I look at that again, the puck is underneath Luongo's pad. or it, It's not frozen, but it's right there in the pad. And it's the force of Vlasic Donskoy pushing against the puck into the pad that forces it into the net. So rather than to say that's not a goal, I'm going to say, you know what? I agree with you. The game six goal against Alex Stalock shouldn't have been a goal either. And that's the problem here is the inconsistency. But I think they got it right last night. Don't want to belabor that too much. Let's switch pages here and turn to Thornton's wounded knee and Pete DeBoer's war against the media. Very odd scenario that played out here this week. We asked DeBoer Sunday night about Thornton's absence from practice last week, his 14-minute game Saturday, and the health of his knee, and whether he'd ever be 100% again. DeBoer gives some very direct and honest answers. Kudos to him. He acknowledged that Thornton isn't 100%. He hasn't been 100% at any point this season. He doesn't know if he'll ever be 100% again. That's a good question, he said. And he likened his situation to Andre Sequeira in Edmonton, who also underwent knee surgery in the offseason, but isn't on the ice yet. He said, Joe's pushing the envelope with his injury. Later that night, Thornton says he'd come down with something over the last 10 10 days unrelated to the knee. Now, we know we really can't trust Thornton's words on this matter, of course, because he lied on the eve of the playoffs last year, saying there's no doubt he'd suit up for game one, saying that an MRI revealed that everything looked good. Everything did not look good. That MRI revealed tears in his ACL and MCL. So anything that Thornton says regarding his health needs to be disregarded. He's not a reliable source on this subject matter. And I tried to clear up this situation with DeBoer at practice on Wednesday. I was just confused because DeBoer was obviously making references to Thornton's knee. Thornton says it has nothing to do with the knee. So what the hell's going on here? And then Pete DeBoer denies that he was talking about Thornton's knee when he was discussing his health Sunday night. Did I say his knee isn't 100%? I don't think so. I said he wasn't 100%. So when he said he didn't know whether Thornton would ever be 100% again, he wasn't talking about the knee? When he brought up Andre Sequeira, He wasn't talking about his knee. He just happened to draw a line to another player who underwent knee surgery in the offseason. Weird. Now, maybe Thornton isn't suffering. Maybe what Thornton is suffering through right now isn't the knee per se. It's something else related to overcompensation because he's been playing on that knee. That all leads us back to the knee. DeBoer was very very clearly making reference to the knee. And now he's trying to use his lawyer skills to parse language and take a walk back. Either he doesn't want to go against Thornton's narrative, now that Jumbo put out some alternative facts, Or he's getting some orders from above. I don't know. I'm not entirely sure what's going on here. I can't pretend like I do. But I do know that when we were talking to him Sunday night, we were clearly talking about the knee. He was answering questions about the knee. Although he didn't say the word knee, it's all tied up in this issue. The bottom line here is that all signs point to the fact that there's just a lot of uncertainty surrounding Joe Thornton's health right now and what kind of player he is going to be moving forward. A lot of concern there. Well, that's all the time we have today on the Gackle Report. Thank you, folks. As always, have a good weekend. Sharks-Bruins on Saturday. Sharks-Ducks on Monday. I think we'll do another podcast uh, Monday morning, probably. Get you ready for that Ducks game, if not on Tuesday. We'll be playing it by ear. But folks, on that note, have a good weekend. I am out.